Joshua chapter 2, page 152. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know from where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone, everyone's courage failed because of, because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord give us, gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. The men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and your family into, the, into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down to the hills to the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us.
The second reading tonight is taken from Hebrews chapter 11 and starting at verse 24 and it's on page 852. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw, he, he saw him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith the prostitute Rahab because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, who, were, who, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced years and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Thanks, John. By faith, by faith, by faith. Do you pick up that refrain in Hebrews 11? My question tonight is this, what, what is faith? What is faith? How would you answer that question? I mean, if you're here tonight and you call yourself a believer in Jesus, a follower in Jesus, you've got to be able to answer that question. Faith is... Dot, dot, dot. Maybe you're here tonight. I don't know everyone here tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you long to have faith. You're not yet a believer in Christ, but you're here because you actually want to have faith. And maybe you know other people who are followers of Christ. You think, I want what they've got. What have they got? What is faith? Maybe you're here tonight and, again, I don't know people here tonight. Maybe you think that you're beyond faith, you're beyond hope, that, that God couldn't possibly allow you 
to be one of his children. I've got good news for you tonight. If God can call a prostitute his child, he can call you his child. Uh, maybe you're here tonight and you've been a Christian for many, 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 many years. But your faith, your faith is so weak and you're just hanging on by the skin of your teeth and you're thinking, I just need to leave here tonight just encouraged again by how glorious my God is. Maybe you're here tonight and you're just living a lie. You stand here and you sing the words of the songs and, and you listen to the prayers and you're thinking, I really, really wish I could say I meant to that, but I just can't because my faith is just a lie. And my prayers tonight is that the, the God would grab hold of you and make that faith a real faith. We're going to look at a lady called Rahab. She's a prostitute. She is an outcast. She's a nobody. And yet God gives her extraordinary faith. Last week I went to the first person character, played Joshua. Today we're going to, we're going to shoot a film. Okay, Come with me. We're on a film set, and we're going to make a movie, and we're going to call the movie Rahab the woman of faith. So the film starts off and uh, you've got this amazing contrasting geographical landscape. So uh, the, the, the camera goes into one land and it's parched, it is dry, it's a desert land. And you zoom in onto these people and the, these people are, are weedy, they're hungry, they're intense, uh, intent, not intense, they're intent. They, they're hunting for their daily food. And you're thinking, I'm so glad I don't live there. And there's this beautiful river down the middle. It's a, a luscious, fast-flowing river. It's a deep river called the River Jordan. And then the camera comes to the other side, and you've got this luscious land. It's beautiful, it's green, there's trees and there's vegetation, and the people are strong, and they're healthy, and there's, there's a city there. It was a beautiful city wall. And you're thinking, I know which side I want to live on. And then the camera zooms in on one man. His name is Joshua, son of Nun. And he's that sort of that rugged Hollywood character. He's sort of more, more of, your, of your Johnny Depp than your Zac Efron. And Joshua is looking longingly over to that luscious land. And he thinks, I want to be over there. And so Joshua says, why don't we send two spies into the land? Now, you've seen the prequel. You've seen the previous movie, and you're thinking, that is a really bad idea. Because what happened last time they sent spies into the promised land? Can you remember? The people came back, and they said, those people are too strong. Those people are too fit. We couldn't possibly defeat them. And they doubted God, and they spent 38 years in the wilderness. And, and they camped around a place called Shittim. And you think, oh no, what happened last time God's people were at Shittim? If you know your Bible's Numbers 25, last time God's people were at Shittim, they whored with the foreign women. They slept with the prostitutes. But the camera shows these two spies. Let's call them Jack and Jake, and they go across into the promised land. 
and you read chapter 2, verse 1, and what do they do? They go straight to the house of the, the prostitute. And you think, oh, here we go again. What's going to happen? Why did these men go to the prostitutes? Uh, the language is deliberately ambiguous. I mean, did, did they sleep with them? We don't know. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt, though. I mean, these two spies, I mean, they look different, they sound different, they dress differently, they stand out like a sore thumb. If you were trying to be inconspicuous, be a stranger in a foreign land, where's one place that you could go where you wouldn't look out of place? A brothel. Because lots of strange men go there. And so the camera pans in down this, this narrow lane and you see this, this red light outside a house and the house is built in, in the city wall. And it goes through that door and there she is. And she's beautiful. Long dark hair, her name is Rahab. So Angelina Jolie type-esque. And you're thinking, what are these men going to do in this house? You're not there for very long and suddenly there's a, a knock on the door. It's the king's officials and they've heard that spies are in the land. And they've come they said, Rahab, those men were here, weren't they? And you're holding your breath. You're holding your breath. What's she going to say? She's a prostitute. Surely you can't trust her. Verse 4. Well, she'd taken the two men and she'd hidden them on the roof. And she speaks these, this lie. Uh, yes, the, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. She says, uh, they were here. I, I don't know who they were, but, they were, but they've gone now. They've just left, so quickly, off you go, you might catch them up. And you're thinking, surely these officials are not going to fall for that lie. And you see the camera going to the house. You think, oh, that's it, they're going to search the house, they're going to find the men. But it doesn't. At verse 8, the men set out in pursuit of the spies. 7, verse 7, sorry. They set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the falls of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. And they'd fallen from it. Now, that is the point of tension in the whole story, verse 7. So, so the king's officials are locked outside the city. The spies are locked inside the city in the house of a prostitute. And you're thinking, what's going to happen next? That's the, kind of the, the, the cliffhanger at the end of Home and Away. That's how it would end for the next episode. Except, uh, this tension doesn't get resolved until verse 15. She let them down by a rope through the window. And in between you've got these verses, verses 8 to 14, that we'll look at in detail. But the point is this, in Hebrew, in a Hebrew narrative, if you want to make a main point, if you want, if you want to emphasize something, you haven't got a computer with a different font. You haven't got bold font or italic font. And, and so what the Hebrew narrative does is it, it, it breaks the story. It puts a break in the story to make the main point there. 
But it does get resolved in verse 15. She let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of the city wall. That's not particularly exciting for your film, is it? You want a, a helicopter rescue plan like Mission Impossible, or you want some gadget convertible cars or something, but it's just a simple rope. And they abseil down the window outside the city wall, and they escape. And the camera takes you to the hill country. Because Rahab has said in verse 16, go to the hills, the mountains, northwest of Jericho, where there's crevices and and caves, so the pursuers will not find you there. Hide yourself there three days. And down to verse 22, uh, when they left, they, they went into the hills and they stayed there for three days. And the pursuers didn't find them. And then verse 23, the two men, the two spies started back and they went down out of the hills forded the river and came to Joshua and told him everything that had happened. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. It's a great story. It is a Hollywood blockbuster. There's tension, there's sexual overtones, there's fighting, there's intrigue. But it's easy to read Joshua chapter 2 and get so caught up in the story that you miss the main point. Now, I've read endless commentaries this week, with page after page after page, discussing whether it was right for Rahab to lie. Is it ever right for Rahab to lie to protect the people? I think the answer is no. But just because she did it doesn't mean that we should do it. And just because she did it doesn't mean that God couldn't have got his spies out of there by some other way. But that's not the point of the story. What is the point of the story? Imagine tomorrow lunchtime, if you buy your lunch, you you go to your favorite deli, and you look at the menu, and you choose your sandwich. You think, I want to have rare roast beef, and a bit of salad, and some wholemeal bread. Now, let's be honest, we don't really care about the salad. It's just to make it look good. And we don't really care whether we have wholemeal bread or we have Turkish bread. What you really, really want is is that rare roast beef, isn't it? It's the filling that matters. Same as Joshua chapter 2. Let me show you. Right in the middle there is, is the main point of our story. Joshua sends in the spies, end of the chapter, they return to Joshua. The spies enter Jericho and are protected by Rahab. Verses 15 to 21, that they escape from Jericho and Rahab is protected. But right in the center, the filling of the sandwich, if you want, is verses 8 to 14. What's this story about? Rahab's confession of faith. It's a remarkable story. Because this woman is not a Jew, she's a Gentile. She's not a somebody, she's a nobody. She's an outcast, she's a prostitute. She earns her living by selling her body for sex. But look what she confesses. I'll read from verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, Rahab went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you, and a great Fear of you has fallen on us, 
so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to, to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Now when we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage fell because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above, heaven above and on earth below. Isn't that extraordinary in verse 11? The Lord your God is God. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That, that, that kind of confession is what you might expect from an Israelite, but from a pagan prostitute? This is a woman of faith. She's grown up in a culture of many gods, but she's saying there is only one God. She's grown up saying we don't need God. And now she's saying, the Lord your God is God. And friends, that's why this chapter is here. You don't need chapter 2 in the story of Joshua. You could, you could go straight from chapter 1 to chapter 3. But God has recorded this incident with this woman, Rahab, to teach you and I tonight about what real faith is really like. What is faith? Faith is having confidence in God's power. Look what Rahab says in verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We've heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, whom you completely destroyed. We've heard that your God is the powerful God. He is the Almighty One. He is able. He is powerful. We don't know whether Rahab read Exodus 14. But she'd heard about the Exodus. And she'd heard the amazing stories how, you know, how God's people were, were, were running out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they're being chased by a massive army of Egyptians. And they're running and they're running and they're running and they, they reach the Red Sea. And we're thinking it's all over. But it's not all over because God is powerful. And just with the wind, uh, the, the Red Sea divides. And God's people walk through on dry land. And the Egyptians chase after them, but God totally destroys them. God is able to save his people because he's powerful. And Rahab knew that. Uh, Rahab knew about the incident with Sihon and Og. It's in Numbers 21. Where these two seemingly undefeatable kings are totally destroyed. Because God, the mighty, powerful, almighty one, was with God's people. And because Rahab knows that God is all-powerful, the right response is fear. Uh, Verse 11, when we heard of it, our hearts melted. Everyone's courage fell because of you, for the Lord your God is God. Isn't that extraordinary? You've got the Israelites who had seen firsthand God's almighty power and they're scared of the Canaanites. You know, we're scared of them, they're strong, they're mighty. And then you've got the Canaanites who've just heard that God is powerful and they're, they're quaking in their boots because their God is so powerful. This is pure speculation, but I do wonder whether if Israel had had the same confidence in God's power when they first came out of Egypt, 
than they could have been spared of 40 years wandering in the deserts. That's what happens when you believe in an all-powerful God. See, Rahab had just heard about these two events. Friends, what have you heard about in terms of God's almighty power? Have you heard that God created the world with just a word? Just like that, he's powerful to create. Have you heard that the God of the Bible was powerful enough to destroy whole nations? Just like that. Have you heard that the God of the Bible has the power to heal? Have you heard that the God of the Bible has the power to raise people from the dead? Have you heard the God of the Bible has the power to save you from your sins? Have you heard the God of the Bible has the power to save you from hell? Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? That's what true faith is. Not just saying that that God is able, but he is the all-powerful one. Nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever situation in your life that you're feeling that you're not in control of, that's okay. Because you're not the all-powerful one. God is. Faith is having confidence that God is the all-powerful one. Faith is having confidence in God's promises. Do you notice the wording of verse 9? Rahab, the pagan prostitute, says, I know the Lord has given this land to you. She doesn't say, I think that possibly, perhaps, maybe God might just give you this land. She doesn't say, oh yeah, a few hundred years ago God made that promise, but lots has happened since then, so God probably won't keep his word. She says, I know that God has given this land. It's certain, it's confident, it's definite. And that's a mark of faith. Remember the land is heaven for us? That's our promised land, heaven. And a mark of faith is the man or the woman who says, I know, I am confident that my God has given me a place in heaven. I'm certain, I'm sure, I have an unwavering trust. Because God's promised me that. And he will keep me for heaven. This is how Hebrews 11 defines faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And certain of what we do not see. We don't see heaven We don't see the new heavens and new earth. We don't see the place where there's no sickness and no sadness and no disease and no death. We don't see it. But we believe in it. And in that remarkable Hebrews chapter 11, there's a faith of Noah and Abraham and Moses and David. And and two women are mentioned in that chapter. One is Sarah, who is Abraham's wife. God had promised her her son. But she was barren in her 80s. But she took God at his word. And the other woman is quite different. Here she is. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She had confidence that God would bring the Israelites into the land and he would protect her. 
I need to ask you here tonight, if you call yourself a believer, do you have that same unwavering, confident trust that heaven is your home? And you're going to get there because God will get you there. Here's the third thing. Faith is confidence in God's protection. This is the beautiful one. Do do, do you see the dilemma that Rahab's got? Once Rahab realizes that God is powerful and God will keep his promise, she's got a problem. Because she realizes that the Israelites will invade the land and she's part of that land. And so she's going to be destroyed. Rahab realizes that judgment is coming and she needs to be rescued, she needs to be protected, she needs somewhere to run, somewhere to hide. And so she asks. She asks for protection. Verse 12, Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family. Because I've shown kindness to you, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and the sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. She's pleading, judgment is coming. I deserve to be destroyed, but I'm asking you for your kindness and your mercy to protect us from death. And what's the sign? Verse 18. When we enter the land, you must tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you have let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and and all your family into your house, if anyone goes outside your house, into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We won't be responsible. As for anyone who's in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. It's the most beautiful promise. Rahab pleads for protection and, and God says, hang a scarlet cord in the window. All you have to do, hang up that scarlet cord, get in the house, shelter under that scarlet cord, and you will be protected from death. It could be linking back to the Passover. Remember that? Where God just told the Israelites to to paint red scarlet blood around the doorpost, and all who were in the house under the blood will be saved. But of course it's pointing forward for us, isn't it? How are you going to be protected from hell? How are you going to be protected from judgment? How are you going to be protected from death? The Lord Jesus says, come to me. Shelter under the cross. Look at my blood, my scarlet blood that was shed for you. Just come, put yourself under the cross and you'll be saved. Oh, if you're arrogant enough and proud enough to think, I I can go out into the streets, I don't need to stay under the cross. It's too simple. Just like the spy said, we're not responsible for that. But God promises you, my friends, that those who take refuge in his son, those who come to Calvary and say, Jesus died for me, that scarlet blood was shed for me, I'm sheltering under the shadow of the cross you will be saved from death. And that's faith, isn't it? Confident in God's promise, confident in God's power, confident in God's protection. 
But here's my issue. And here's God's issue. It's so easy to say, I have faith. It's so easy, isn't it, to say, I trust in God's power, I trust in God's promise, I trust in God's protection. But they're just words. And you walk out of this church tonight and you don't live as though you do really trust in God's power, promises and protection. Because Rahab is mentioned a second time in the New Testament. Here it is, James chapter 2. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous by what she did. What did she do? She took in the spies. What did she do? She hung up the, the scarlet cord. She put her faith into action. She delivered on what she said. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And James is saying to you and I tonight, God is saying to you and I tonight, please don't just sit here and say you have faith. Get out there and live your faith. Live as though God really is all-powerful. Live as though God will keep his promises. Live as though you are protected under the shadow of the cross. Someone say God says to us, okay, you have faith? Show me. How are you going to respond when I take away the thing that's most precious to you? Will you, will you really trust that I'm all-powerful then? How are you going to respond when your carefully devised plans don't come to pass? Will you really trust me then? Our faith in God's power, promise and protection, it must show itself by deeds, by works, by actions. There's one more point tonight, the most comforting point of this chapter. And I'll finish with this tonight. Because this chapter is overflowing with this. The grace of our sovereign God. I hope you're asking kind of questions. Why, why do the spies end up in the home of the only believer in Jericho? Because of God's sovereign grace. Why was the house in the city wall so they could escape easily because of God's sovereign grace? Why didn't the Jericho police search the house? Why does Rahab make this connection? And the answer is because of God's grace. Because Rahab had a faith. And you may have a faith tonight, but that's only because God has been gracious to you. Here's how Ephesians 2 puts it. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made you alive with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourself, it's a gift of God. It's saying that Rahab is saved because God has been gracious to her. It was God who opened her eyes. It was God who softened her heart. It was God who reached out to her and God who lavished her with his love and mercy and saving grace. And do you know what's extraordinary? She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's an immoral prostitute, not a morally upright person. I don't expect that her parents were particularly proud of Rahab, do you? Can you imagine the embarrassment at a dinner party? Oh, what's Rahab doing these days? She's a nobody. Marginalized, outcast, safe, self-hating. And that's why I love the scriptures because these are not made-up stories. We choose a nice, morally upright person. 
And God chooses a, a pagan prostitute to show you how amazing his grace is. Can you imagine if they had walked in here tonight? Can you imagine how you would react if they had walked into church tonight? Short leather skirt, thigh length boots, flaunting herself. And then she meets Jesus. I imagine that some of us would judge her, look down on her, think she was beyond saving. And I reckon that's what they have is here. To remind us that no one is beyond saving. In fact, we're all Rahabs, aren't we? How does the hymn go? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a, a wretch like me. I had a wedding couple once who wanted to change that second line because they didn't like it. They didn't like the word wretch. Now your issue may not be prostitution. Your issue might be pride or arrogance or selfishness or lying or gluttony or greed. But whatever it is, you're a wretch. You're a filthy wretch. And so am I. In need of a great saviour. And that's how amazing our God is. He washes us. He cleans us. He restores us. He forgives us. Pagan prostitutes. You and I. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that amazing? I don't know you tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, I'm beyond saving. If God really knew everything about me, he would never accept me. He does know everything about you. He knows everything about you. And of course he can save you. Or maybe you're here tonight and you've been a Christian for many, 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 many years. And you've actually forgotten that you don't deserve to be saved. What you deserve is condemnation. What God gives you is forgiveness. What you deserve is wrath, but God gives you love. And that's his grace. It's extraordinary, isn't it? God is not concerned about our pasts. God is not concerned about our pasts. But he is concerned about our future. He's concerned that we live as people of grace. See, here's how the story of Rahab ends. Here's how our film ends tonight. The Israelites came and they took the city. And Rahab was spared and her family was spared. And then Rahab met a lovely Israelite man. And his name was Salmon. And Rahab and Salmon had a a baby boy, and they called him Boaz. And Boaz married a widow called Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth Ruth had a baby boy called Obed, and Obed had a baby called Jesse. And Jesse had a baby called David. You see, Rahab had a great, 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 great grandson. And his name was Jesus. You see, Rahab comes a third time in the New Testament in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 1. And Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, is not embarrassed to have in his family a pagan prostitute 
that God saved by his grace. Isn't that amazing? Can I encourage you, brothers and sisters, God's grace is so amazing. I don't know who you are, but like me, you're a wretch in need of forgiveness. So I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray a prayer, and you might be here tonight and calling on God for the first time, so please echo it with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father God, I stand here tonight acknowledging I am a wretch. You know my failures, you know my flaws, and yet you love me. Thank you for the blood of our Lord Jesus. We run to him for refuge, for protection and from shelter. Please help us to be people who put our faith into action. In Jesus' name.